Welcome to the Lance Cabin Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I am your host. And today's episode is the 45th of the Instagram Lives that we've done. Uh, this week's guest on the regular episode is Steph Walton from Studio S Design and Co. So he's a pretty cool person to chat to because she's doing a lot of things really well early in her business. Um, she does a lot of uh, 3D designs and because she does designs and has only been running the business uh, 12 months, not a lot of the projects that she's designed have been built and are photogenic enough yet to uh, advertise. So she's doing uh, a lot of posting of the 3D images, which is uh, which is better than nothing, a lot a lot better than nothing, and it's looking really good. So uh, it was good talking to her about how uh, the reasons behind that and also the fact that she's outsourcing that by, by using a virtual assistant. And uh, she's doing a lot of things right from the start. So a good chat with her. Uh, first question for today is from Yards Landscapes saying, what was your goal when you started and how's it looking? So I forgot to check whether that was in regards to the podcast or landscaping in general, but in terms of the podcast, um, the like I wanted to talk to Graham Rowe initially and find out um, his story about you know, how he started in the industry and all, everything to do with that, but also wanted to... Um, try and get into the the showbiz side of landscaping and get on TV at some stage. But then uh, as I, as time's gone on, I realised that not everyone's cut out to be, to do every role and I'm not uh, someone who's going to be on TV. So I've, but, but in doing the podcast, I found a love for it. So um, yeah, just continued to do that. So I uh, didn't achieve that initial goal, but yeah, pivoted and found a new one. Uh, well, I don't actually have a a goal that I'm working towards with the podcast now, other than just to keep creating new episodes. And um, and there's a lot of people that I'm uh, in talks with, talking to. Uh, so, yeah, certainly not losing any passion for it or um, dwindling in any way in that regard. Uh, in terms of starting the business, back when I first started, I didn't have any plans at all. I just started because I thought I could work for myself and make make the big bucks because I felt like I was running the business myself anyway, or not running the business, but doing enough that I had confidence that I could run a business. Um, so I didn't have any goals that I was working towards at all. But then when I started again, 2015, I think it was, yep, I um, set about on wanting to work on high-end projects and then, I think three years later that started to happen and then we're well and truly doing that now so it was uh yeah nailed that and it's certainly as enjoyable as i thought it would be not as profitable as i thought it would be but still get to work on some pretty amazing projects and uh, working with some great people and luckily there's always time to to work on the business and start to increase those profits hopefully um, but I'm not a big goal setter. So apart from do it, yeah. So I've achieved that goal and I don't have any that I'm working towards now, other than probably uh, getting the, the course up and running. Wouldn't mind doing that. But in order to be profitable, you've got to get work done rather than filming videos on, on how to do landscaping. So that's, that's, uh, in the works and also trying to do my landscaping home as well. So there's a lot going on. Um, 
But it's, yeah, it's good to have goals so it's something you can work towards um, and it doesn't need to be something that you rush into. Next question is from Double Bogey Luke saying, as a construction company, how much detail do you want in a design? Uh, that is a great question. And the answer is just the right amount. Uh, so that's going to vary uh, depending on multiple things. So one of those things is uh, depending on the designer. So it depends how much ownership the designer is going to take on on those finer details. So whether you whether the designer is bothered by the set out of the pavers, for example, um, so where they want a full paver to start, depending on what sort of pattern it is, or how big they want the joints to be if it's crazy paving. Um, so if the designer is going to have a lot of input on how they want it to look, then you need more detail. But if they're happy just to give the client their concept design and see them on their way, then you don't need too much detail. So, um, yeah, it depends on how much effort, the, the uh, how much input the designer wants to have. Um, but I also I understand that you can't have every detail in a design because a lot of things change on site. It's really hard to work out everything when you're doing a, a site consultation as well. So some designers won't include uh, the amount of fall that should be in paving as well, and that's not. That's not necessary to have that. You can kind of work that out for yourself um, because oh, the, there should be there should be a relationship between the, the the landscape designer and landscape builder and everyone should sort of stay in their lane a little bit. So I've received some landscape design plans where they're telling us how we should be doing paving, like how thick the crushed rock should be, how thick the concrete should be, how thick the mortar should be. How much fall there should be, so. Um, but a lot, but there a lot of designers don't have their uh, building registration, so it's um, that's kind of straying out of their lane a little bit. And so sometimes there is too much detail in the design because then there can be some confusion with what I would normally do compared to what the designer has said has written down that should be done. So, like some have had a thirty-five millimeter mortar bed underneath paving and I'm not using 35 millimeters unless I've messed up the slab so um and it's the same with the amount of fall like you want to have more fall over crazy paving than what you would over uh, modular paving because there there's so much more undulation in the crazy paving and and the gaps sort of don't run in all the same direction so there's going to be different different details like that that you should know as a landscape builder but you d that that's not something you necessarily need to know as a landscape designer um so it is a it is an a, a question which the answer is how long is a piece of string and that's why there is um challenges when designers put a certain amount of detail in and sometimes it's not enough and sometimes it's too much so if you read a book called goldilocks and the three bears that will give you the the correct amount to put into there but that's a, that's a good question and it's uh it's something that it, it that's a good case study for uh, working with the same landscape builder and landscape designer, like building that relationship is if you're working with the same people, then you can get direct feedback on the people on the person who's going to be building your projects. So you can give them a design and when they build it and they've done a good job, then you can talk to them and say, 
did you want more design, more detail or less detail? And if you wanted more detail, what sort of detail do you want? And then for the next project, they can include that. So that's a, a good reason to, to work with the same people and build those design construction maintenance relationships. Uh, Davo27 said, how are you feeling about the landscaping industry over the next year? Cost and inflation still on the rise and work dropping off. Uh, I think it's it was inevitable. Like people, I remember when uh, COVID first started and work started booming, and so that was sort of March, April, May, and everyone was saying, yeah, it'll, it'll start to die off in September, and that was uh, three years ago, a bit. And, it's, and it, now it started to die off. So maybe they meant September 2023. And I was just assuming that they meant September 2020, that year that they were talking in. So everyone's know, or most people would have known that it was, it's not going to, it wasn't a sustainable level of, um, of busyness. Um, and you would think that as things get quieter, the prices, the price increases will get quieter and stop, but they do seem to be going up still. Like every now and then you'll see one come down, but, and then, then it goes back up again. Um, but it's it's going to be like uh, it's going to be challenging for at least the next twelve months. I'd say possibly possibly even longer, depending on the time of year, because it's it might not be too bad. Because in twelve months it's still going to be the summer, which is a busier period. So it'll be interesting to see what things are like in seven months around winter to see because people are less excited about getting their landscaping done around the time of year. So uh, the phone should be ringing a lot less than compared to what it is now. So if things are getting a bit quieter now, then you need to be prepared for what's going to happen in, in winter and try and start booking in jobs for them. Um, so if you'd normally only book out three months in advance and you and someone wants to book in, then you might be better off taking on those projects now or not taking them on now, but try and book them in uh, and get outside your comfort zone a little bit and start booking in further in advance just so you can have a bit of a safety net there. Um, but it, personally, I'm not too concerned because the projects we work on are large a lot of the time, so it doesn't take a lot to book us out. Um, but I do like to do the smaller ones and they are, the smaller ones, are, there's a lot less of them. Um, but hopefully, like, there's a lot that like that it'll be interesting to see because when everything got busy, there was no staff around, and that could have been because people were starting to work for themselves. Uh, so some of those people who went out on their own and started working for themselves might end up deciding that it's easier to work for someone else rather than doing their own thing. So there might be some quality employees that you're able to employ. Um, as things get more difficult. But then the ironic part of that is things are more difficult, so you're quieter, so you're not wanting to put on employees. So that's where um, – but that's also where, like, in uh, – where people make money in property and investments is they make those um, investments and decisions to grow when things are bad. Uh, so when people are selling off property, that's when they buy it. So if you can put yourself in a position where you're able to employ someone who's got some good skills when things are going down, then and just sort of ride that wave out, then you're going to have someone who's got good skills when things start going back up again and get busy. So um, 
yeah, it's going to be a, a fascinating period of time over the next yeah, 12 to 18 months. Just scrolling up because for some reason it's not doing it automatically. Uh, so that so I've had a couple of questions because they're all awesome questions tonight except one. So every now and then we get some juvenile questions that come in and this one is no different to that. It's from Peter Donegan saying, what number am I thinking of? So I would guess eight. But we don't get to hear his his response. So we've got the next question, which is from Tom Lynch. Now, when you've got people working on site alongside you, how hard should you be pushing them? Another ripper question because it depends on the personality that you've got. So in uh, sports coaching, you see a lot of people talking about uh, how a coach is a good person, like a good manager of players. So they're able to, you don't just treat all, you can't treat all players or all employees the same because everyone reacts differently to to certain amounts of pressure and certain um, direction. So some people are going to, you'll get the best out of them if you give them a bit of a, a spray every now and then. Uh, and other people will go backwards. So if, if you think that they're performing at 60%, so you tell them that they need to do more, and then they'll start performing at 50%. So the first thing to do is to understand what type of person they are. Uh, listen, There's a question about podcasts at the end, but I listen to a lot of podcasts where they talk about uh, personality profiles, and a lot of people use a DISC profile, so you're either a, a D personality, an I personality, an S or a C. Uh, and depending on which one you are, that's how you react to certain things and how um, how innovative you are, competitive, and how much drive, how much you like um, praise, or you know it. De- so depending on what type of personality you are, is how you're going to react to being told to work harder. So the the first thing you would want to do is is have a look into those these personality profiles. And you'll be able to work out what you've got on your team because there's all sorts of um, what is the word? Not stereotypes, but like stereotypes of what these people meet. So uh, if you, you know, if you if this person does X Y Z, they're a D profile. If they do H I J, they're a, an I profile. So yeah, work out what they are, and then. Treat them accordingly based off that. So it seems like, it might seem like a bit of work, but um, you can also work out how valuable they are to your team. And if they're if they're worth putting that much effort into training them, then you should do that. Uh, but if not, then you can do as you please. And Paul Pritchard thinks six might be the number that Peter was thinking of. So one of us will be will be close. Um. All right, next question from Fig Landscapes saying, do you qualify clients before looking at projects? I don't do that for uh, construction, but I do for uh, design. So I'll make sure that the clients are aware of the uh, the way we do our designs and the cost of that because uh, a lot of people, when I send that email, I don't hear from them again. So you want to... Uh, so what I do with mine is I give them, I tell them this is how much it costs. I send I'll, this is what the process will be. So we'll come out and meet you on site, talk about what you're after, and then I'll send a fifty percent deposit before we start the design, 
and then the final 50% when we finish the design but before we send it to you. So you just want to communicate with them and keep them um, uh, keep them up to date with what is going to happen uh, and informed in what's going to happen so that then there's no surprises for them uh, and then they are fully aware of, what, of what's involved with what they're committing to so then they can decide whether they want to do it or not. Um, uh, it was interesting talking with Dan Herald. He's got a good way that he does his um, pre-qualifying, but he's all, he also said that after 20 years in the industry or however long he said he'd been in it, yeah, sort of you get an idea of what people are like through, you know, little details about just the way they contacted you and, and things that they say in an email or a phone message. So then, you know, I've been in it long enough and I, I also get that kind of uh, – sixth sense of what a good lead is and what what's not now you're not going to get that right all the time um but yeah it's something i'm looking to do more of in the design side of things with a, a survey to send to the clients before we start the design process but it's not something i've thought of doing with construction um and partially because a lot of the work we get are direct for designers so they're pretty much a pre-qualified lead already um we are, i would say could be, uh, and a lot of them are our designs as well. So it could be like maybe less than twenty percent of the uh, leads that we get uh, haven't had a design done. Yeah, be a lot less than twenty percent. So they're the ones that you'd want to pre-qualify to see whether they're going to be a waste of time. And it's also worth note um, thinking about and keeping track of the ones that don't that, that do turn out to be a waste of time. And something that you could have pre-qualified, so then you can learn from learn from your mistakes, so that, that it doesn't happen too often uh, going forward. Uh, next question is from Andy at Leaf by Leaf. So Andy will be coming up on the podcast, I think, in a couple of weeks or next week, not this one. Uh, he said, "Do you rush clients' jobs for Christmas or in December, or is December just another month?" Again, that's something I've learnt more. Uh, just through time in the industries to um, keep December free as much as long as you can, and then book it in with the right project. So, if you've got a client who says that they're not too concerned, like if, like if it's a, let's say it's a going to be a two month project or a six week project, and they're not they're just happy to get it done whenever you say, well, we could start in December, but it won't be finished until until we get back in January, February. So even though you might have work, like, and let's say it was in August that they called you uh, and you could squeeze them in earlier, it's good to try and get that block of work booked in for a project that doesn't have to be finished on a deadline of Christmas. So then you've got no stress on what needs to be done by then. And explain to them, you know, it's going to be a construction site over the Christmas break, blah, blah, blah. Just make sure you keep them informed and don't surprise them with any of that sort of stuff. But you could say, you know, we'll have the concrete underpaving done, so you'll still be able to use certain areas of it. But um, but you try and book out that section so that you don't have a Christmas deadline. Um, I just treat it like a normal month, um, but well, I'll probably don't on that on that basis because uh, I don't do the same for other months. But um, yeah, you don't want to be. It's no one enjoys rushing at the end of the year so just yeah try and be more pre-planned about that 
and, and start thinking of it. And if it's too late for this year, which it probably is because it's only like five weeks left, uh, five or six weeks left for the year, um, just remember it for next year. And when you start to book in jobs, when it's starting to get towards, if they're starting to book projects in the spring, then you can see if you can push them out. Um, so you could say it might not, we might be able to do it in September, but it could be December and then it won't be finished until next year. So then last year, if you, you get a bit of a read on them, if they're going to freak out and push it, if, if you think they'll cancel because it's pushed out too late, then you can say, no, we'll, we'll be able to get it in September. So, um, yeah, not like any, any other month, but I don't like to rush any jobs. Like I don't like deadline jobs for any time of the year. Um, regardless of whether it's Christmas or just because the client wants to move in because it's just not nice to have to work with a deadline um, that creates any extra stress that you don't need to add to your already stressful uh, business. But as much as I try and avoid it, sometimes it just has to get done. And last question from Jade at TA Turf Guru. So what's your three favourite podcasts related to the landscape industry? Uh, number one would be the Kid Contractor podcast with Caleb Orman. So he was a guest on our podcast well, in the early days. I don't know if it was in the first year. I reckon it might have been. But so it was yeah, right back towards the start. Um, so he's from Ohio, uh, obviously in America. And so if there was... If I, for whatever reason, I hadn't listened to podcasts for a couple of weeks, his would be one of the first ones I go to because I just enjoy it. So there's, it's educational, but it's also entertaining. Uh, and another entertaining one is the uh, Not Our Finest Hour podcast. But there's three. Uh, again, they're North American, deep, uh, but they're, they're all Canadians, these three. Um, and they do, yeah, sort of hardscaping, landscaping, and uh earthworks but uh but they're yeah good fun to listen to and um it's not there's certainly no edu- well, not there's a bit of education that one but it's more just entertaining that three blokes who are in the industry so they're talking about problems and issues that everyone goes through um and then there's also like i do I, like my preference is australian landscaping podcasts but uh, so I'll probably put the front garden on there. And the full landscape also with Clint Adams from WaterPro would be up there as well, but he do, he's very um, sparse with, with his releasing of episodes. Yeah, I think he was, when I spoke to him last about the podcast, he was going to try and um, ramp up and do more than what I had done. And I think I'm more than double what he's done now, so... He's a busy, busy man running three businesses and turning over multiple millions, millions of dollars a year. Um, but, yeah, his is one I would also listen to as soon as I see a new episode. Uh, and, yeah, the front garden, which is by the Landscape Victoria people. Uh, and there's also a couple of uh, – there's one which is Plants Grow Here with Daniel Fuller. I think he's from the – I think it might have something to do with the Australian Institute of Horticulture, but uh, he's had Peter Donegan on, um, and he just released one three hours ago as well, a new episode with him on there talking about his new uh, his garden for Mifkes next year. 
So I just saw that was on there, so I haven't listened to that one yet. But that's another one worth worth listening to. There's a lot more uh, sort of nerdier parts of the of the garden industry, like the the plant industry. So yeah, you can learn a bit listening to that as well. Uh, and also another one, which is another North American one from a fella in Indiana, would be the Molder Life podcast. So he runs his business. He's got multiple machines, and he runs his business debt free. So um, yeah, there's plenty you can learn from him as well. But yeah, there some of the podcasts that I enjoy listening to, um, as as well as other business ones which aren't necessarily landscape related. But there's a few a few Australian construction ones as well in there. I can't remember their names, but yeah, that was the last question for this evening. Uh, thank you very much for everyone who submitted a question again and once again i'll say that this week's guest is steph walton from studio s design and co a landscape designer in adelaide been going 12 months but doing a lot of good things so thank you very much thank you very much for everyone who submitted a question again and we'll see you next week